The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. Oh, my gosh. We have been having all kinds of strange technical difficulties. Aren't you glad you're in on those? Well, let me tell you all about them because, you know, whenever you share your problems, they kind of get divided. Isn't that why people get married and get into relationships and do all those difficult things? Well, I'm in relationship with you because you are listening to this podcast and you're on the vegan word journey at some point or other, and I am just tickled pink about that. So I'm going to tell you that what is going on here, well, it's kind of a multiplicity of things. They're doing construction on my building. Do you live in a new building? I've never lived in a new building before in my life. I've lived in old houses and old apartments, and I love old. I love funky. I love crown molding. I love windows that don't really open, but isn't that why God made sturdy sticks? I mean, old. Old is good. But I'm in this brand new building, and it's a green building. We're saving the planet in Harlem. I mean, it's really cool in so many ways. But, you know, when people build things these days, they sometimes don't pay attention to some of the basics. And they didn't pay attention to the fact that as the weather changes, the bricks kind of expand and contract, and they need a little room to do that. Well, nobody thought about that on our building, so they're having to replace the entire facade of this big, like, 12-story building that takes up the better part of two-thirds of a block of Manhattan. And they make a lot of noise. And sometimes the drilling is just like, you know, those guys that drill out in the street when they're trying to get to whatever's going on under the concrete. And I never quite know when that's going to be happening. So this morning there wasn't any noise, so I thought I was safe in doing the show from my apartment. But then they started drilling a lot. But I'm doing a good deed this week, and you know what happens when you do good deeds? It comes back to you. So I'm feeding a neighbor's cat while they're out of town, and they gave me their Wi-Fi so I could do the show in their apartment. And then the only background noise would have been a little bit of lovely calico kitty mewing. We would have liked that, wouldn't we? Of course we would. But the Skype didn't work down there. So I came back to my apartment, and the Skype doesn't work here either. So I think we need to chalk that off to one of those days and then add to that that our first guest isn't here. 
let me tell you who he was going to be. And then his mother, who arranged all this to begin with, is going to intervene and make sure that he comes back and maybe does something really wonderful for us. Maybe she'll get his whole band to play us something live. Anyway, we were going to have on Derek Sanders, who's the lead singer for Mayday Parade. If you don't know Mayday Parade... If you know a teenager, they know Mayday Parade. Their music is just exquisite. And they also have a lot of really great stuff going on behind the scenes uh, in terms of human rights work, animal rights work. And um, Sally Sanders, Derek's mom, is a Main Street Vegan certified vegan lifestyle coach. She's also a full-time humane educator in the schools down there in Florida. So great family doing great stuff that somehow wires were crossed and Derek is not here so we will bring him on some other time and I did send a note to our second guest Stephen Wise of the Non-Human Rights Project and the new wonderful documentary Unlocking the Cage so maybe he will come on a bit early if not it'll just be you and me here in the first 17 or so if you happen to be listening live and I know almost nobody listens live but some people do because whenever we have something to give away (laughs) I seem to get calls from people so how about giving you some good karma let's say if you call in in the first 17 minutes of this show, like uh, right now, that would be good. Um, How about I send you a copy of my latest book, The Good Karma Diet? I could autograph that to you or to a good friend, somebody with a birthday coming up or somebody that you just want to spread a little love to. Give us a call. Ask a question. We can talk about being vegan, talk about what's going on in your life. We've got two numbers here, 888-558-558. 6489. That works if you are in the continental United States. We learned last week talking with Ruth Heydrich, the amazing marathoner and iron woman, iron man woman uh, who lives in Hawaii and was calling in from uh, outside the country or outside the continental. That's that 888 number only works in the lower 48. That's 888-558-6489 or you can call the other number, and that works from everywhere on the planet, 816-347-5519. Again, that's 816-347-5519. And if you think, I've already got that book, and why should I call into a radio show? Well, it's all about the good karma, because otherwise I'm just here talking to folks for the next seven minutes, and I didn't know I was going to be doing that. But never being really at a loss for words, I do have some things to share with you. I'm so excited always. There's so much great stuff going on in the vegan world. So something that just launched this week, it's this totally, totally cool site, and it's called Lighter. Now, they were around for a while before doing food deliveries, meal deliveries, that kind of thing. And now they have regrouped and relaunched. And at this point, what they're offering is strictly educational, so it's absolutely free. So here's the, here's the URL, lighter, like um, it's lighter when there are no clouds, <laughs> dot world, lighter dot world. And what you will find is a whole bunch of really fascinating vegans helping other vegans and would-be vegans and kind of sort of a little bit now and then vegans to find out what to eat. Because you know what? It seems that people would do this or would join us, at least to a certain extent, except they really don't know what to eat. Well, that's where lighter.world comes in. So some of the people who are signed on to help out with this wonderful project are Christy Morgan. She's been on the show. Christy was the editor of Definitions Magazine. She's a bodybuilder. She's a chef and the author of Blissful Bites. Now she does Traveling Around the World List Out Retreats. Jean Bauer of Farm Sanctuary uh, is, is part of it. Janae Claiborne, adorable sweet potato soul you know her dr michael gregor of course everybody knows dr michael gregor uh david carter the 300 pound vegan recently of the nfl 
Paul Shapiro from Humane Society of the United States, Josh Balk from Hampton Creek, Kathy Freston, super famous Kathy Freston, Juliana Hever, the plant-based dietitian, Neil Barnard from PCRM. Am I boring you by just reading you everybody who's super cool and well-known and has books and whatnot in the vegan world? Well... They're all over there, even Marco Borges. Did you catch Marco Borges on one of those entertainment shows this week? He was on our podcast maybe six months ago. You can catch him in the archives. He's Beyonce's trainer. Uh, 22 Days Nutrition is his thing. Anyway, they're all there, and even I'm there. And what we do is help you with grocery lists and menus and recipes and inspiration, and how to connect with us. So this is a very, very cool way for, at least at this point, absolutely no cost for you to get some really, really helpful information and insights from different vegans who eat in a little bit different ways. If you've listened to this show for a while, you know I kind of lean in the Ayurvedic direction. I really love that yogic philosophy of of healing and spirituality and kind of that connection of the body and the spirit. And I'm on there with that kind of approach. And you've got other people that are are raw or or nearly raw. You've got other people that are um, very much low oil, whole food, plant-based, that kind of thing. So you can just pick and choose and, and find the expert and the idea that suits you. And if you actually want to go straight to my page, I think you can do that. Yeah, lighter.world slash providers slash Victoria underscore Moran. That would be nice. I probably, hi. Great. Yeah, I probably get some points if you go straight to my page. So that would be cool. And then the other thing I want to let you know about is over at the MainStreetVegan.net blog, do you speak to groups? Do you want to get this message out with your very own voice? Well, Carol Morgan Cox has posted a magnificent blog post this week in which she says, make your audience the hero. Isn't that interesting? We always think when you give a talk, you want everybody looking at you, and you're the center of everything. But the magic, says Carol Morgan Cox, is making the audience the hero. So check that out, MainStreetVegan.net slash blog. And I have a happiness. Our guest is on the line. So I think what I'll do is introduce him. We'll go to break, and then we'll come back and just jump right into all the amazing work being done by Stephen M. Wise. He's president of the Non-Human Rights Project, and he's practiced animal protection law for 30 years. He teaches animal rights jurisprudence at several law schools, and he is the author of several books, including Rattling the Cage Toward Legal Rights for Animals and Drawing the Line, Science and the Case for Animal Rights. His work was highlighted on Dateline NBC, and he and the Non-Human Rights Project are the subject of a new documentary, Unlocking the Cage, which just premiered and is going to be premiering all over the country in theatrical release. Many in the media are calling this Blackfish for Chimps. Yes. May it be that, as Mr. Wise and his team show us in the film how they have filed the first lawsuits that seek to transform an animal from a thing with no rights to a person with legal protections. Don't you want to hear from Stephen Wise? Well, if you do, stay with us through these announcements, and we'll be back nonstop, no more breaks, Stephen Wise and the Chimps, forever and ever. Stay with us. If Unity Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, please consider supporting this online radio programming. Visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world.
what if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. What is the key to happiness? Would you like to find the fountain of youth? How about all the money and love that you could handle? Well, my friends, it is there for you. You just need to strip off the false beliefs that keep your divine inheritance from being attracted into your life. You need to be real. Be vulnerable. Be naked. What are you waiting for? Let's get naked. This transformational program with Reverend Heidi Alfrey is an invitation to explore and remove the blocks that keep you from emotional freedom. Listen to Heidi and her revealing guests as they embrace the power of spiritual nakedness as a guaranteed way to live an authentic and transparent life. Expose yourself to your greatness on Mondays at 3 p.m. Central Time. Let's get naked. No dress code required. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You gotta get rid of your butt. It's bigger than it would appear. It hinders your forward movement when you keep bringing up the rear. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back, everybody. It's such fun because today I'm on a phone because my Skype is not cooperating having a little bit less communication with Jeff, our engineer, than usual, and I just wanted to make sure that that when I was uh, speaking with Stephen Wise during the break that that was indeed private because we were just talking about stuff. But he did say the coolest thing, and I hope it's okay that I can add this to the introduction because this tells you really what kind of person he is. He said that he used to have some fear of flying, so he learned how to fly. That sounds like the personality of a man who would spend 30 years working to get personhood for chimps. Welcome, Stephen Wise. Well, thank you for inviting me. (laughs) Such a pleasure. Oh, my goodness. Well, start from the beginning. Where did it all start? Well, it all started in 1980 when I picked up uh, a book by uh, the Australian philosopher named Peter Singer uh, that, that told me, uh, things that I didn't know about how we treated non-human animals. And I had not realized um, how we exploited them, how I was involved in it, uh, how many animals were exploited, re- really how awful the whole thing was. And once I read that, I, I decided almost immediately that uh, that I would uh, try, try to spend the rest of my legal career representing the interest of all these millions or billions of of entities who could feel and suffer and think uh, but didn't seem to have anyone, any lawyers who were representing even their most fundamental interests. And so that's what I decided to do in, in, in 1980. Um, I thought I was the only lawyer on the planet who was doing that until the end of 1981 when I, le- I learned about a meeting in New York City the day after Thanksgiving uh, where some lawyers from the West Coast uh, were trying to form an organization that was then would be called Attorneys for Animal Rights, and a few years on we would change it to the name of the Animal Legal Defense Fund, which is obviously still still um, working very well. And 
Uh, I went to that that meeting and I met many of the lawyers that I I certainly know now, and we formed uh, Attorneys for Animal Rights. And by ni- 1985, I became president of of, uh, of what was then the Animal Legal Defense Fund, and I would remain the president for the next the next ten years. And but also by n- 1985, I realized that uh, it was going to be you know, extraordinarily difficult for lawyers to be able to represent you know, even the most fundamental interests of non-human animals. And the reason was, I finally concluded, was there, there, was, a, there was a structural problem. And, and the problem was is that all non-human animals in 1985 and in 2016 and for thousands of years before, hundreds of years before, had always been viewed as legal things and not legal persons. So a legal person is an entity who has the capacity for at least one legal right. A legal thing lacks the capacity for any legal rights at all. And what I began to envision in 1985 was this, it was this legal wall, and on one side of the wall were the legal things of the world, and the other side who lacked the capacity for any legal rights. On the other side of the wall were legal persons who had the capacity for an infinite number of legal rights. And uh, and I, I began to understand that there was movement between the persons and the things on the wall. It was just very slow, but it was indeed a dynamic process. And so if I look in 1985 or I looked in 2016, uh, all of the non-human animals of the world would be on the thing side of the wall, and all the human beings would be on the person side of the wall. But that if I had looked again, in, if I had looked in, say, 1770, uh, there would have been all the non-human animals of the world on the things side of the wall, but many human beings on there as well. Uh, human slaves, uh, maybe women, maybe children, um, maybe others who would also be seen as legal things who lack the capacity for any kind of a legal right. And that a lot of the civil rights work over the last two, two or three centuries has been to keep punching holes in that wall and passing through those human beings uh, who are on the things side of the wall to the person side of the wall. And... That is what I thought uh, needed to be done again with non-human animals, that we had to have a reason for having the judge accept the fact that we could knock in more holes uh, through that wall and begin passing uh, some of the animals of the, of the world from the, from the thing side to the person side. And I also, we also uh, point out to the judges, and, and indeed the Non-Human Rights Project does uh, every time it goes to court, that, that there are many... Um, entities who are not humans on the person side of the wall as well. That uh, Certainly since the Citizens United case came down a, a few years ago, uh, m- most Americans understand that, that for many purposes corporations can be persons, but so can ships and counties and states. Uh, and then we also point out that in some of our sister English-speaking countries, uh, there are other kinds of non-humans who are persons. And we point out that in India... Uh, that a mosque has been a person, or Hindu idols a person, or the holy books of the Sikh religions a person. And we point to an Australian treaty from 2012 in which it was agreed uh, between the indigenous peoples of New Zealand and the, uh, and the crown that a certain river in New Zealand uh, would, be, would be a person who, would, who had owned its own riverbed. And so what we try to do is, is, is explain to the judges that being, a, that being a person is not a biological issue. It's not a taxonomic issue. It's really a matter of moral principle and public policy as, as that every legal jurisdiction has to decide for itself you know, who ought to be a person, whether as a matter of policy or as a matter of principle, and then make that entity a person. And so we had decided that the time had come to begin making at least some non-human animals persons so that their most fundamental rights would be protected. So did you start with chimps? Yes, uh, we um, we decided to uh, start with those non-human animals who we thought might have the best chance of courts characterizing them as as persons, and we 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 looked at many species, and we we ultimately decided that chimpanzees would would be our good first first plaintiffs because. Since Jane Goodall went to Gombe in, in, in the 1960s, uh, you know, a tremendous amount of research has been done on the cognition of chimpanzees, both in the wild and in captivity. Uh, much of what we've learned about the cognition of chimpanzees shows how closely related it is to ours, you know, and how, how um, 
chimps think or how chimps feel or uh, it is very close to how we think or how we feel. And we thought that judges and others uh, would be able to uh, empathize uh, more with a non-human animal like a chimpanzee whose cognitive abilities were, were so similar to ours. So uh, we began with chimpanzees in a broader, uh, in, in a broader sense for looking at all four species of great apes right now, uh, chimpanzees and bonobos, gorillas and orangutans. Um, the two species of elephants, um, African elephants and Indian elephants, and also such cetaceans as, as an orca. And uh, the reason we're doing this is we, think, uh, it, is we think that there's a huge amount of information about it uh, and that these are the ones that would be our great first plaintiffs as we, as we begin to try to break a hole through the wall and, and bring in the first non-human animals from the thing side to the person side. Absolutely. Do you get any flack from people in the animal rights movement who think you ought to be bringing everybody in all at once? Well, some people don't understand uh, what we're doing, and because of that, we sometimes uh, we sometimes do get get some flack. Uh, they think that that what we're doing is is just just trying to bring those animals over. Um, it it, it gets it gets kind of complicated because. Um, there has to be reasons why you, that you might, might give to a court as to why a non-human animal ought to be a legal person. And that's, that's one of the reasons that, that it took us you know, so many years. It took me so many years to be able to, to think about it, write about, uh, about the, these ideas before, we, before I was even able to file the first lawsuit. So I began planning this in 1985, and the issues are really so complicated that I thought that it would take about 30 years till about 2015 before we'd be able to file the first, first lawsuits. And it turned out it was close to that. It was 28 years in, in, instead of 30 years that we filed the first lawsuits in 2013 instead of 2015. But one of the things that, that we had to do was to try, to try to be able to come up with legal theories that, would, that judges would, would accept because they are, they're the kind of legal ideas that, that judges work with. They implicate values and principles that judges say in their judicial decisions that they believe, that they learned in law school, that they, that they utilize day in and day out as, as judges. So it took some time to be able to identify those. Um, and I finally identified those as being the, the ideas of liberty and equality. The, a, a liberty right is, is, is the kind of right that someone's entitled to not because you're comparing yourself to someone else, because of some quality that you have. While an equality right is a kind of right that you're entitled to because you're like someone else who has that right in a relevant way. So we, our arguments uh, stem always from ideas of liberty and equality. And then we also had to be able to, to find the right causes of action. Um, what, what was really the key that would open the courthouse door for us to be, make, to be able to make our liberty and and equality arguments, and we ultimately decided that that we would use um, what's called a common law writ of habeas corpus, which might might have two terms that people might who aren't lawyers might not be familiar with. One is the idea of a common law, um, and the other is is, is of habeas corpus. Um, there's all kinds of law in an English-speaking country like the United States is, uh, with the exception of Louisiana, which is a civil law civil law state. But we in 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 the common law. Um, not only our statutes law or the constitution's law, but what the judges say is law is also law. In other words, in a common law system, judges have not only the ability but the duty to create and recreate law when, uh, when the uh, uh, changing experiences of, of, of the citizens or the changing morals or new scientific facts come in. The judges have a duty to, to, keep, to keep the law current with, with science and morality and, 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 and the experiences of the, of the world. And so we decided that, uh, that we were going to make common law arguments. So, so we were going to make arguments to the judge saying, judges saying, you judges are the, are the people who uh, said that non-human animals were, were persons. It wasn't you. It was with your other judges hundreds of years ago. But judges said it, that non-human animals were, were, were not persons, but they were things who lacked the capacity for a right. And so since courts said they were things, courts can now say, no, we made a mistake. They're not things. Now they're, they're persons. So we, 
we decided that we would then uh, make arguments to, to the judges under the common law. And then we also uh, eventually decided to use the writ of habeas corpus. So habeas corpus is Latin for um, you have the body. And it's a really old writ. It's a very important writ. It's called the great writ because it's, it means that when, when, when someone is detained by someone else, someone is being imprisoned by someone else, um, a third person can run to court on behalf of the detained prisoner and ask that the judge issue a writ of habeas corpus, that, which means the, the um, jailer has to bring the body of the prisoner before the court and give a legally sufficient reason for detaining that that, that body. And there were some really good things about writs of habeas corpus that would allow us to be able to bring suit on behalf of a non-human animal such, such as a chimpanzee. So while we were thinking about all these things and, and developing uh, all of these ideas, we had to spend many years beginning to communicate them to the legal community. So we would um, uh, begin to teach classes. You know, I, I, taught, a, I taught the a, my, my first class in animal rights law at the Vermont Law School now 26 years ago in 1990. Uh, in 2000, I, th- I taught the first case in animal rights law at the Harvard Law School. And between those two times, certainly up until now, there's probably 120, 130, 140 law schools who have some, some animal law or animal rights law, law class. And then we had to write law review articles, and, and uh, I had to write books. I've written you know, four books. I've probably written 12 or 15 law review articles. I, I talked to a lot of people, and that begins to get the ideas into the minds not only of the public but also of the lawyers and the professors and the judges. So it's, it's all kind of a, a, of a long haul in which everything came together in December 2013, so that the Non-Human Rights Project felt that, that this was about the earliest time in which we could file lawsuits uh, on behalf of a non-human animal where we had some reasonable chance of, of success. So do you file these on behalf of a particular chimp or the species in general? Well, we have so far, uh, we filed um, lawsuits on behalf of four specific chimpanzees in the state of New York. Uh, we filed three separate um, in three separate lawsuits in December of 2013. We filed one lawsuit on behalf of Kiko, who is a chimpanzee who's being imprisoned in a cement storefront in Niagara Falls. We filed one lawsuit on behalf of Tommy, who is a chimpanzee who's imprisoned uh, in a in, in a warehouse in a used trailer lot in Gloversville, a small town. New York, and then we filed a, a third lawsuit on behalf of uh, Hercules and Leo, who are two chimpanzees who are being, you know, really used and abused and and, and exploited in in um, kind of a grotesque kind of experimentation at Stony Brook University. Uh, they were being used and not not even to for medical or health reasons, but uh, there were the anatomy professors there uh, were curious to know why um, or how a chimp uh, humans develop the ability to have straight legs, develop straight legs instead of bent legs like chimpanzees. And so oh. they kept Hercules and Leo from the time that they were two, two-year-old, just two-year-old little guys till they were eight. They kept them, you know, imprisoned in a cage in the basement of a computer lab at, at, at Stony Brook University. They never got to go outside. Um, and they would have uh, wires thrust into their muscles. They would be forced mm. to undergo general anesthesia often. Uh, it was it was really it was really a horror show. So we filed suit on behalf of those two chimpanzees as, as well, and uh, we understood from the beginning that uh, judges uh, were going to be really surprised when they were confronted with this kind of a these kinds of suits. Uh, we had um, we had fashioned our our lawsuits so that we would be able to um, to. Um, make the arguments in terms of those values and principles that the judges indeed uh, acknowledge that, that they hold. But it was still on behalf of a non-human animal, which, which uh, judges hadn't seen. And they may, many of the judges probably had never even seen a habeas corpus case on, the side of a human, on, 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 on behalf of a human being. So uh, in uh, the la- first week of December 2013, we went from court to court to court along the whole uh, length of the state of New York filing these kinds of lawsuits, um, asking that, that the courts issue um, what was called or an order to show cause. Um, uh, New York has its own kind of, uh, kind of uh, habeas corpus 
statute in which you can seek a writ of habeas corpus, but if you do, you're asking that the prison, that the uh, jailer bring the prisoner before the judge, or you can issue what's called an or ask for an order to show cause in which the uh, in which the jailer comes in without the prisoner. So we we did not want the chimpanzees to be have to have to be brought into court in New York. So we asked that the judge issue the, these order to show causes. So uh, uh, that's what we um, that's what we did. And then we um, we also filed uh, writs of habeas corpus in the state of New York for another reason. Um, most times when someone files a lawsuit in the, in the United States and it's tried, that's the end of it. So if if uh, you if I claim that you breach a contract and I sue you for breach of contract and I lose or I win, that's the end. Nobody files suit again. It, 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 whatever happens happens just once. And uh, if 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 I then file a second lawsuit, the defendant could then use the defense of what's called res judicata. The the thing has already been decided, and your case will automatically be be thrown out. But there's an exception in the state of New York for a um, a writ of habeas corpus, and so that's one of the many reasons that we chose the state of New York, uh, because we really felt that we were beginning a dialogue with the judges first of the state of New York, and then judges in in other jurisdictions as as well. Uh, in which we would um, uh, argue to them for the first time why a non-human animal should be brought from the thing side to the person side of that legal wall, and we expected that the judges were not going to like like that, or they would because they wouldn't have heard about it before. And judges tend to be, you know, conservative kinds of of people, uh, and that we expected that we were going to lose. We didn't expect to even have um, to even be able to go in front of a judge to argue that in order to show cause should be issued uh, to our pleasant surprise um we were uh in in those first three um three cases uh twice the judges allowed us to come in and argue at length about why they should issue the order to show cause in one of the uh, uh w- one of the cases that one involving hercules and leo the judge uh, wouldn't even wouldn't even allow us to come in i i wouldn't know that judge if he ran me over in a car because we we never saw him and then we would argue the cases the judges then uh, would not issue the order to show cause because they because they didn't think that a chimpanzee was a person, and then we went up on appeal, and we've been in that dialogue back and forth, back and forth with the courts of New York as they say, well, we don't like this argument. We then another court might say we don't like that argument. Now the third court says we don't like this argument, and so whenever we've lost, we've always lost on a different ground. So the the courts are still trying; it's still unstable. They're they're still trying to figure out how you deal with these cases. And then if we did lose, then we would simply refile the case in, in another jurisdiction, which, which you could do under the um, habeas corpus law of, of, of the state of New York. So here we are in May of 2016, still finally, you know, having cases open on behalf of all four chimpanzees, Hercules and Leo, uh, Tommy and uh, Kiko. So we're, in our, we're, you know, we're, we're well into our third year of litigating in the state of New York on behalf of chimpanzees. Um, we probably we'll probably be in there in, in in a year from now. We'll probably still be litigating on behalf of one or more of these chimpanzees. Meanwhile, we're we're getting cases ready on behalf of of elephants in another state, and we're looking at a third and a fourth state where we might file suit uh, either on behalf of elephants or on behalf of of, of apes. Um, we'd like to file suit on behalf of cetaceans such as orcas, uh, but the the problem is is that uh, in a writ of habeas corpus, uh, if you win, then the judge orders the release of your client, and while there are elephant and chimpanzee sanctuaries and, uh, that, that we, our clients could be released to, there are no, right now, sanctuaries for orcas or cetaceans, so we, we have not uh, wanted to file suits on behalf of them until there's a place to send them if we win. Of course. So what's the difference in terms of these four chimpanzees that you talked about, the sort of, of lawsuit that you're filing and someone just trying to say um, Tommy, for example, or Kiko is being um, held in violation of what animal welfare statutes already exist? That is a really good question. It's one that judges have all the time. It's really the difference between um, animal welfare and animal rights. Um, We uh, in fact, we, we don't even call ourselves an animal rights organization. We call ourselves the Non-Human Rights Project. It's a civil rights organization that focuses on the fundamental rights of non-human animals. And um, the rights issues we, 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 that, that we argue uh, 
come from a different place than welfare does. Uh, our our work is is based on human rights law. Uh, we we base it on the abolitionist um, uh, arguments. In, in fact, there was a a famous case in 1772 in London involving a black slave named James Somerset, uh, who uh, had been kidnapped as an eight year old boy in West Africa, taken and sold to a, a Scottish um, uh, businessman in Virginia named Charles Stewart, uh, who had then risen to the top of the uh, custom service in the colonies in the 18th century, and he would go go from Georgia to Massachusetts uh, and bring James Somerset with him. Uh, and in the 1760s, he moved to um, England, and at that point in London, James Somerset decided that he didn't want to be a slave anymore, and, and he escaped. And uh, eventually, uh, Charles Stewart decided that he did not want uh, James Somerset brought back to be a slave, but to be, for, to be his slave, but he wanted him to be uh, chained to a ship in, in London Harbor and sail to Jamaica, where he would be sold in the slave markets there and, and live the three to five years that a slave would live uh, harvesting sugarcane in, in Jamaica. And so bef- the uh, slave catchers found James Somerset, and they, and they had him chained to the deck of the ship. But before he could sail, um, uh, people went in on James Somerset's behalf, and they sought a, a writ of habeas corpus from Lord Mansfield, who was the Chief Justice of the Court of King's Bench. And Lord Mansfield issued that order to show cause, or, or he issued the, the uh, writ of habeas corpus. And, and every time we've gone into court and we've asked the judge to issue either an order to show cause or a writ of habeas corpus, you know, I think back to that day, I think, this is exactly what the, what the people who went on behalf of James Somerset had to had to deal with. Just that that moment when they asked the judge to issue a writ of habeas corpus on behalf of a thing, and for us the thing is our chimpanzees, for uh, for for the, the the folks in 1772 uh, or 1771 England, it was a human slave who was seen as a thing who lacked the capacity for legal rights. And I've now. Uh, gone through that many times, but every time I realize that that's a really important moment when the judge has to look into his or her kind of legal soul and decide whether they're going to give us uh, give us a chance and 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 issue that writ, that writ of habeas corpus or in order to show cause. And the fir- those first three times that we filed the, the suit on behalf of the four chimpanzees, none of the judges issued the order to show cause. Uh, and then we had to go up to, to appeals, and the courts were ruling all over the place, as they still have. But then we decided to, uh, because there's no res judicata on habeas corpus in, in New York, we decided then to file suit again on behalf of Hercules and Leo in Manhattan, almost exactly a year ago today. And we drew a judge named uh, Justice Barbara Jaffe, and Justice Jaffe, for the first time in, in history, did in May of 2015 issue an order to show cause. She ordered uh, the um, uh, Stony Brook University to to come into court and give a legally sufficient reason for imprisoning these two chimpanzees. So that was an extraordinary moment for for us in that, just like in the James Somerset case in 1771, uh, Justice Jaffe had issued the order, the, the order to show cause in, in 2015 on behalf of chimpanzees. And uh, several weeks later, we would have a, a, a shootout, you know, a full-blown hearing in her court as to whether or not the um, uh, Stony Brook folks were, could imprison chimpanzees. And uh, then she um, issued a, a decision, a very complex one, in July of 2015, in which she essentially she agreed with almost every one of our arguments, and I say almost because uh, we got hung up on a technicality in that the other side had argued that Justice Jaffe, who was sitting in the in a in a, in a, a lower court in Manhattan, was bound by a higher court that had decided against us in another part of, the, of New York State. We argued that that she wasn't, but she felt that she was, and so uh, at that point she said that chimpanzees might indeed get rights but that she would have to uh, deny our writ of habeas corpus and, quote, for now, unquote. And so uh, that case is, is, is up on appeal, and then we have two more cases. We filed two more suits in, in Manhattan uh, again, uh, and, of course, they were denied because of the same issue, the, the question of whether or not the judge is bound by this other court in, in uh, central New York. And so all these cases are now up in front of the, of the uh, appellate court in Manhattan, and... They're not bound by that 
that other court because they're at the same level as that other appellate court. And so we're about to, uh, in, in sometime in 2016, you know, have another you know huge argument in in the appellate court in Manhattan as to whether or not a chimpanzee or any non-human animal can be a person for the purpose of habeas corpus or any other purpose. Oh, my goodness, you're on the right side of history. <laughs> we, we, we believe so. We, we are on the right side of history. And uh, uh, we not only cite the, the slave cases, and we, and we have many slave cases, but the Somerset case is the most important one. But we also cite a case in 1879 called um, uh, Standing Bear versus Crook, where, where a Native American had never before um, uh, tried to file a writ of habeas corpus when they had been imprisoned by the U.S. Army. And so Standing Bear was the first, the first Native American to do that. And the U.S. government opposed it, claiming that Standing Bear was not a person. A Native American could not be a person. And that court ruled that, indeed, a Native American was a person. And so we cite not only the, the slave cases, but also the Native American case, such as, such as Standing Bear. And we do believe that, that uh, there are historical tides that have been sweeping through the courts, and, and not just in the United States, but many places, uh, you know, for a long, long time. And we are on that tide. So are there other countries where a chimpanzee or another non-human animal has human status or person status, I guess is what we would not, think. Not human. really. Uh, there are very few countries in which anyone has, has ever tried. Um, that's one of the reasons that the Non-Human Rights Project has been um, holding its hand out to lawyers in other countries. Um, that's one of the reasons why why my wife and I have to wear ID tags when to, you know, to make sure we remember what each other looks like. Because uh, I, I travel throughout the world meeting with lawyers uh, trying to uh, uh, find out whether there's anything that the Non-Human Rights Project can do to assist them. So we're working with lawyers or, or, or political groups. Um, uh, I have worked with them or, or spoken with them in England, uh, in France, uh, Holland, Portugal, Spain, uh, Argentina, New Zealand, Australia, uh, and some of those folks uh, end up working closely with us, some of them not, not as closely. Uh, but we're trying, we, we believe that we're dealing with really a worldwide phenomenon. The, the Non-Human Rights Project has to, happens to be at the forefront of it uh, in, in the United States. Uh, but we understand that when we're standing um, you know, up in a, in a court in New York City, that we're also being heard in Buenos Aires and in London you know, and, and, and in Sydney and in Lisbon you know, and in Madrid. Absolutely thrilling. I can hardly wait to play this show for my husband, who is a lawyer, and hears people make jokes about lawyers and <laughs> say unkind things about lawyers. You guys are going to change the world for animals well, in a that's... way that the rest of us are not able to. So I'm just extremely excited, very, very excited well, you know... about the the work you're doing, and about the film. So well, the I know film is what I was going to say when I went yeah. into, uh, about five years ago, it dawned to me that what we were doing was making history. And I thought that what we were doing, and of course we didn't know what we were going to do, but we, as we were doing it, we thought that it should be the subject of a film. And so um, uh, I, man, uh, I, I talked to a, a, one of my students at the Vermont Law School once who has a sister who is a producer in New York City. And after the class is over, I went to New York City three or four times and took her out to lunch and said, you know, you've you got to do this. You have to represent us on this film. And she eventually said yes. And then she goes out and finds really two of the most respected documentary filmmakers in the world, D.A. Pennybaker and Chris Hedges. And the following year, D.A. Pennybaker becomes the first documentary filmmaker to win an Academy Award for Lifetime Achievement. And he's extraordinarily respected. And they spent the next uh, four years following us everywhere, you know, getting uh, cameras in, into courtrooms when, when they could. Uh, they had access to all of our private meetings to... You know, they came to our homes and filmed, uh, and they just got the whole. They, I think, they filmed about 400 hours, and then eventually, uh, in December, uh, came out with a 90-minute film called "Unlocking the Cage," and uh, it was accepted. It had its world premiere in January at the Sundance Film Festival, uh, where it was um, received just incredibly well. Of course, I'd never been to a film festival, but I was like overwhelmed by the by the enthusiasm of the of the uh, people there who saw our film and and now there's it's um it's been playing at a series of film festivals across the country and across the world and now um it's opening up in um 
uh, its theatrical run uh, at the Film Forum in the West Village in New York City on May 25th. And if you go to the web page called Unlocking the Cage, you'll see uh, a list of all the theaters and all the film festivals uh, uh, over the next three or four months. Uh, they're all over the United States. Some of them are in Europe, and I know they're 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 going to be opening in Canada as well. Though though I don't think those are on there. And then. The really one of the great parts is that it was purchased by HBO, and and so HBO once it fil- it finishes its theatrical run and its film festival run, it will then run on HBO for the next five years, and it's also has been purchased by the BBC, by German television, by uh, French television, by Dutch television, and so it's going, it's going people millions and millions of people around the world are going to get a chance to, to be exposed to the ideas as to why the time has come for non-human animals to become persons and not things, and how this band of lawyers in, in the United States you know, is, is determined to do it. Oh, and the time has come for Kiko, Tommy, Hercules, and Leo to, to have a face for a few who represent the many. It just means so much. So the website, listeners, is nonhumanrights.org, and there's also the website just for the film. That is unlockingthecage.com. Is that correct? I believe it is. Okay, uh, and I'll put everything on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. That the Twitter is at nonhumanrights, Facebook nonhumanrightsproject. Um, we'll put everything up for you. There's also a fundraiser here in New York City um, on Wednesday, the 25th. After- it is. Uh, it is. It, we're, we're, it's, it's opening in at the Film Forum, and afterwards, we're, we're selling tickets for. Believe it or not, after all these years, it's our very first fundraiser, and so we're. Well, it's this, about uh, time. I will it is see about you there. <laughs> <laughs> and and there will also be if if people can't attend the fundraiser on Wednesday, there will be Q and A's after the evening performance. I believe on Thursday and Friday, and, and I will be there Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Okay. Uh, and then I uh, finally go home for forty-eight hours before I head off to Barcelona. On <laughs> okay. Well, what a beautiful <laughs> is the film showing there? It is not. I teach at the uh, autonomous law school there uh, in Barcelona. I teach. I teach animal rights law. Oh uh, well, the is. world is changing. We like to say the world is changing, but when I hear of all these places you're going and everything that you're doing, it really is changing. If, if, okay. if I may say one one thing, last yes. week I spent the week in Argentina uh, speaking to animal rights lawyers, and to my absolute astonishment. Uh, I was given a diploma of honor by the Argentine Senate uh, for, for, oh the my work, for the work I do, and I was made a person, uh, I don't know, a key, uh, some kind of an honored person in the city of uh, Buenos Aires. Oh, uh, I, I love astounded. it. Yeah, there'll be another Evita, but it's, it'll uh... be about you. <laughs> so thank you so very much, uh, everybody. The Non-Human Rights Project, the film is Unlocking the Cage. Stephen Wise, bless your heart. Thank you so much. Next week, everybody, we're going to be looking at liberating a whole other sort of animal when Jonathan Balcom, the ethologist, is on the show with his brand-new book, What a Fish Knows. Hmm. In the meantime, God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. If you've ever wondered how a specific Bible verse might be interpreted metaphysically, then Interpret This is for you. In Interpret This, Unity Minister Rev. Ed Townley answers your questions about the Bible and how to apply its verses to your life with passion, depth, and spiritual insight. To submit a question or to enjoy any of his numerous metaphysical interpretations, visit unity.org and click on the Interpret This box. of spiritually conscious living start now for a time-tested method to live with purpose and release your infinite potential tune in to the yoga hour living the eternal way 
with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio, the teachings of Unity's founders, almost a hundred years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Right here on Unity FM. The voice of an awakening world. Great teachers through the ages have spoken of the importance of our mind and of being master over our thoughts. How often do we forget that we are the ones who decide what thoughts we'll hold and what thoughts we'll reject? The world's great teachers also remind us that our thoughts create our experience. We may not be able to change what is happening in our world, but we can always choose how we will respond to the changing situations of our lives. With a positive attitude, your chance for success in any situation can be greater. That's because a positive attitude will inspire you to look for workable solutions rather than allowing negative thinking to limit your decision-making. This Law of Life is brought to you by Unity. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready for deeper spiritual breakthroughs? Have you wondered how to apply spiritual principles to your everyday life in practical ways? 
Do you feel your soul is calling you to deeper purposes? Join Reverend Galen McDowell live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central for Truth Transforms, a discussion on how God within you, as you, is the power to transform your life. If you really believe that consciousness determines your experiences and that you are an individualized expression of God, join us as we help awaken and transform the consciousness of humanity. We will discuss, through lecture, live interviews and call-in questions, spiritual healing, prayer, prosperity, forgiveness, new thought views about eternal life, and much more. The world is waiting for your truth transformation, only on Unity Online Radio. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.